Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50, as we're going to start at verse 4 and we will work through the end of the chapter. We have before us today the third of the servant songs found in Isaiah. We'll be looking at these verses, but before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer again as we ask for help with his word. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us. As we read here in the text today, we're going to see that you are one that learned that even though you were the perfect son of God incarnate, you came to earth and you had to learn. And so, Lord, as as we stand here today, we're far from perfect and we wish to learn from your word. So as only you can, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive and hear your word. But not only that, but to be changed by it, that we might glorify your name. We pray this in your name. Amen. So in order to introduce this passage, please turn with me. Keep your finger in Isaiah 50, but turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Because when I read about the servant of the Lord, who we have identified already as Jesus, here prophesied in the Old Testament, when I heard about him having to learn, it made me think of this passage in Luke chapter 2, and you probably already know where I'm going. It's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And so I'm going to read this passage about Jesus learning. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, he went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were turning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. I always enjoyed this story as a kid because here we have Jesus as a kid, and he's listening in the temple and he's understanding things and as a kid i never understood what the pastor was saying and so it was always just fascinating that he was able to do that as a kid and you you can imagine this they already traveled a whole day and then they have to go a whole day back and then when they're in jerusalem they have to look for him for three days and so they're looking for him essentially for five days at this point So I'm sure they were frantic, but he was as calm as he could be, and he was still in the temple after five days, listening and learning. And his mom scolded him, but notice what she did too. 
She didn't even understand what he was saying. Like, I'd be in my father's house and she treasured these things up in her heart. She knew there was something special about him. Of course, she would come to know him not only as her son, but as her Lord. He left there. He was submissive to his parents. And yet he grew in stature and wisdom and favor before God and man. He would have his ministry and his his bold message to the people of God would be repentance and belief. And he would drive the money changers from the temple. Yet he would also tenderly counsel the sick and the desperate. He was bold before the authorities, but he also handed himself in to the authorities. Even though he was the very son of God incarnate, he was also had to sit at the feet of scholars and learn, just like we do. So in our text today, we have the third of Isaiah's servant songs. We've already spoiled the ending here again. The servant is Jesus that we're talking about. We would we'll find that out more certainly when we get to 52 and 53. But we, we already know that. In our text today, we see another accurate description or depiction of his life that is written hundreds of years even before he is born. Isaiah looked forward to the coming of the day of Jesus, and he was glad for it. Isaiah, remember, in chapter 6, saw him seated on the throne, and he looked forward to the day that when he, the servant, would finally come and set his people free for all time. And so as we look at our text today from Isaiah 50, I'm going to break it up into three points. The servant as disciple, the servant as victor, and the servant as Lord. So with that, let's look together at our text today, Isaiah chapter 50, starting at verse 4, reading through 11. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah chapter 50, starting at verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Amen. This is God's words. You may be seated. So 
So last week we were in the last part of 49 and the first three verses of chapter 50. And we looked at a statement that was made by Israel. And the statement was, why has the Lord forsaken me? And we saw that instead it was Israel that had forsaken God. And yet what would God continue to do even in the midst of that? He would remain faithful to them because he had a plan to redeem them. In 50 verse 2, you get you kind of get a little bit of where we're going today. In 50 verse 2, why when I came was there no man? Why when I called was there no answer? One of the things that God said to him in response is essentially, where were you? If, if it's me that has forsaken you, where were you? Why isn't anyone obedient and faithful? If you claim that I'm unfaithful, why have you been so disobedient? Of course, there was no one to be found. Every Hebrew person from Abraham forward sinned. They were found wanting when it came to God. The most famous ones, of course, we get a vivid account of their sins. But we don't need the the ones that aren't named. We know that they struggled too. Yet we've seen a few times already that there was going to be one. That the Father even called him Israel in a previous chapter. That would come and he would be the perfect Israelite. The perfect representation of his people. And we see that in our passage today. That brings me to the first point, point. The servant as disciple. Look again with me at verses 4 and 5. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. A few things here. First, we see that the servant is given the tongue of those who are taught. Interesting way of saying that. In other words, he, when he speaks, it sounds as if he knows what he's talking about. When the Lord Jesus spoke, it sounded as if he knew what he was talking about. Remember, how did people react to him? Isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son? How did he, how does he know all this stuff? And we, we get a great picture of that today as we looked in Luke chapter 2. Jesus as a young boy, as he was even able to hold his own among the scholars there in the temple. And they were amazed. They had no idea how he had such wonderful answers and, and had such wonderful questions. So we know that, again, we know that the servant that Isaiah is pointing to is Jesus. We know that Jesus is both God and man, 100% God, 100% man. So one of the questions that you may have when you read this, and I know I had when I read this, well, why did Jesus then have to be given this gift? Why did he have to be given this ability to sound as if those who had been taught? Why did he have to learn anything, right? He's, he's the very Son of God incarnate. And the answer is something that we already know, or that I've already said even about Jesus. It's just something that sometimes we forget because we get so mixed up and it's such a hard truth to comprehend for us in our finite minds. It's the fact that he was both God and man. Not only did he have the power to calm the storm, which we, of course we see in the New Testament, but he also had to learn to walk and talk as a person. He had to have his diaper changed when he was a baby. 
And it's okay if you can't, if we can't wrap our heads around that. We can't. We can't possibly understand how 12 year old Jesus sat in the temple and understood, but 12 year old Jesus also had to be found by his parents. We can't understand how Jesus could calm the storm, but Jesus was born helpless a baby. It's hard for us to completely comprehend and understand what's going on. If we had everything solved, of course, there'd be no awe and wonder as we come to his word. We just have to trust that those things are true and we have to roll with it. And notice one of the purposes of his learning. And I love this. He was given a tongue as those who were taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. I mean, what did he say? All those who are weary and heavy laden, you hear me say this all the time. He called those people to himself because he knew how to sustain them. He knew how to give them comfort. Not because he was just a good listener. You know, some people are really good listeners and, and it's just comforting to kind of talk to them. But with Jesus' words, there was so much more. He had the words of life to speak to those who were hurting and who were helpless. We saw this when we studied in Mark. Mark is a great picture of this. It's people that he meet, he changes forever. People that he meet, no one else wanted anything to do with. But he loved them. He gave them the very words of life. Jesus saw people at their absolute worst. And you know this had to be difficult for him. Again, he was the son of man, but he was also Mary's Joseph's son. So even while he saw all the horrible things of the world, the effects that sin was having on the world, even then he didn't fall into temptation. I know that when I hear all about all the things that are going on, it's hard for me to even just be happy sometimes. But he didn't fall into temptation. We know that from Hebrews chapter 4, 15. What did he say? Well, it says that, We know that he was tempted in all the things, but yet was without sin. So to that end, he completely understands where we've been. That gives him more and more the ability to comfort us as his people. We see this in verse 5 also of Isaiah 50. I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Israel could not point to a single time when they weren't rebellious. Yet the Lord Jesus, the servant of the Lord, never rebelled against his father once. It might be easy for us to stop and think here, okay, okay, I understand now. I need to be like Jesus and and not be rebellious. Yes, that's right. We should be obedient, submissive like he was. But do you think that we will? Before we even leave this building today, no, we can't. It's a struggle. We'll have our moments, of course. We're going to have our moments when we get it right. Absolutely. And in Christ, those of us who are in Christ, our general trajectory in life is that we are getting less and less rebellious. At least we hope that's the truth. Yet it can never be said of us that we always rose to the standard that God requires of us. We read that from the Heidelberg today. What does he require of us? It was pretty tall order. Love God and love everybody all the time, always. We can't do that. That's why Jesus had to come. Because he did rise to the standard that God required. Absolutely, he did that. And he exchanged that, his righteousness, for that of a rebellious people like you and I. And we have to hear this every week, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
lest we begin to see ourselves as somehow deserving, as somehow better than others, because we're not only He is. Only Jesus could say that He never turned His back. Yet because of our sin, it was the Father that turned His back on His Son. But it wasn't just the remission of sins that He purchased for us, it was the victory as well. And that brings me to the second point, the servant as victor. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Here we see a small picture of the shame that he would have to endure. Look at the ministry of Jesus and you understand this in a very general way, even as he went about his adult life, that he was faithful to minister to the word and be a minister of the word, even though he drew the ire of many opponents over the days. Calvin, in his commentary, said something about those who minister the word, that the uh, He said that ministers of the word cannot perform their office faithfully without being exposed to a contest with the world. It's a great way of saying that. We had our, we just talked about that over the weekend when we talked about opposing worldviews. It's no surprise that I was not rebellious, the words from Jesus, is closely followed by, I gave my back to those who would strike. Because what are rebellious people only going to want to do? to the perfect Son of God. Or they're going to want to kill Him. Absolutely. Because as we've read from Romans 1, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Jesus dealt with this in a very general sense in His ministry, but also very specifically, He dealt with this sort of suffering. On the night that He was arrested and His subsequent crucifixion, the picture here of even having His beard pulled out and being spit on would have been humiliation to the highest degree can't even imagine. You know, we, we, we understand just by saying when we, when we hear about someone we spit on, it just kind of makes it, our, us, you know, get, get upset, even though it wasn't us that it happened to. Jesus walked on the earth knowing that this suffering was ahead of him, yet he turned his face toward it. I love that in verse 7. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. This reminds me in, in Luke's gospel. That Luke says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing the fate that awaited him there. I know that Luke was a student of Isaiah's, I'm sure. And that was the picture that he was looking for there. But notice, he set his face like flint, but what happens after that? But the Lord God helps me. The Lord God helps me. I know that I shall not be put to shame. When we look at the arrest and the death of Jesus, we we would think that we would see lots and lots of shame there. It would seem that the Lord took on heaps and heaps of shame upon himself, but that's just it. When we think of the word shame, we should automatically associate that with powerlessness. Something has happened to me. Something has happened to me from somebody else or from some outside event that has caused me to feel less than I should because I was powerless to do anything about it. Jesus wasn't. He didn't feel the shame that someone who was bullied might feel 
or someone that was harassed or abused might feel. Because he went willingly into this. He went willingly. He subjected himself to it. He could have called down the entire host of heaven in his defense. But he allowed his creatures to nail him to the cross. He took that shame that I was due. The shame that I feel. So that I might live a life without shame. And how can I do that? Let's look at verses 8 and 9. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will, who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. How do we live a life without shame? Well, the servant knew that the father would get the last say in this because he knew that the father had an ultimate plan of redemption, that the grave was not going to be able to hold him at all, but that he would have ultimate victory over those things that he took upon himself, including death. He knew that no matter what humiliation that he faced, he was going to have victory over the grave. And the brothers and sisters in Christ This is the victory that we have in Christ. In Christ, we can say, who will contend with me? Who is my adversary? Now, this doesn't give us license to act like idiots, obviously. It's simply acknowledging the fact that there is nothing on this earth that can ultimately take us away from the Father and His love for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of the Father. Nothing can thwart His plans for redemption for us. Jesus said, I am preparing a place for you. That is true. He has a place for us. So who can contend with me if the very Creator of all things says that? The world can stand and accuse And they can put us to shame, but it's all for naught. Isaiah even says they're going to wear themselves out in the process. It's going to be meaningless. They can't do it. And this is important for us. So many times when we look around the world, we see nothing but accusers. We'll even make up accusers that aren't there because we just think that they're there. The number one accuser that we face on a daily basis is the one that we see in the mirror. That's the one that we have the hardest time with. Some of the shame that we feel is because maybe something happened to us. Something, someone else did something to us. There's a lot of reasons that we might feel this kind of shame. We might feel guilt for certain things, even things that aren't our fault. Definitely things that are because we've done something wrong. We might feel guilt because we aren't a good enough spouse or we're not a good enough parent or a good enough student or a good enough son or daughter, whatever it is. We create these standards for ourselves that aren't real at all and we can't possibly meet those standards because we ultimately are sinners and we struggle with the, with the smallest little things and rather rely on the one who shall not be put to shame, we put, our shell, we put ourselves to shame. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, be free from that. In Christ, There is no shame. There is no guilt. Call upon Jesus, the one who is never put to shame. 
We are in Christ, brothers and sisters. We have victory over guilt and shame in him inherently because of who he is. And we have victory over death as well. That brings me to the last point, the servant as Lord. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. And remember, this is the servant speaking here. And so we can say that this is our Lord Jesus speaking. And a lot of times this doesn't necessarily match up with the way that we might picture Jesus. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all of you who kindle a fire, who equip yourself with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. So notice the correlation here between the fear of the Lord and the obedience of the servant. A few things. The servant obviously here isn't a mere man because his voice is one that demands obedience. The fear of the Lord and the obedience to the servant are one and the same. So the Lord and the servant are one and the same. We've seen him acting like a prophet before, speaking the words of the Lord, but here he is speaking as the Lord. He's coming from God the Son. We know that the fear of the Lord is necessarily followed by obedience. We know that from the rest of Scripture. Yet here it is also coupled with deliverance from darkness into light. And this isn't a strange picture at all. If you've read the New Testament, we see this over and over again in the New Testament that Christ is associated with the light. He even calls himself the light of the world, the light that's coming to drive away and scatter the darkness. He takes out the darkness or he takes us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is the, again, light of the world, driving away the darkness. So with this coupling is then the call to believe on the Lord. And notice the language. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Just like the obedience to the servant and the fear of the Lord are coupled, the trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God are also. It's almost as if Peter had read Isaiah 50 before. You know, and he stood up and he preached that there is no other name under heaven by which man might be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. Who do you think Isaiah is talking about? Who did he look forward to? Who was Peter looking back at? What did Paul say when he said, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved? Believe in Him and you can be saved. He was talking about Jesus. This isn't a coincidence. It's because Isaiah, Peter, Paul, all the writers of all the books in the Bible were looking forward all to the same person, Jesus Christ. The light that Christ gives scatters the darkness of the world. He is the sovereign Lord of the world. He isn't merely a man that sat at the feet of scholars when he was a boy. He is the one who holds all information, all learning, all of it together all at once. In his light, we see light. 
In him alone do we have the light of life. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. And in Christ, we know that. As Christians, we know that, but we forget it from time to time. But if you're here this morning and you haven't called upon the name of Jesus, if you're still trusting in something else, now is the time to see the difference. You've definitely seen it from the text. You've heard it from this pulpit. Notice that people are going to try to provide their own light. Look at verse 11. Behold, all of you who kindle a fire. It's not the light that the servant provides. It's they're going to be their own little fire that they're making who equip themselves with burning torches. Okay, then walk by the light of your fire and the torches that you have kindled. Okay, do that. This I have for you. You shall lie down in torment. The writer of the Proverbs said, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of it leads in death. And the servant here puts it a lot more succinctly. Jesus did in his own ministry as well. You want to walk by your fire? That's fine. You're going to lie down in torment. Jesus was a gentle soul on earth. As you read his, as you read the stories of his ministry, his words could comfort the desperate soul, could give life to the dead. But his words were also words of judgment. And it's no more plain than the ones that we have here in Isaiah. If you believe anything else than on the name of Jesus Christ, you will lie down in torment one day and it's going to be forever. Instead, call upon the only name that can save you. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. In conclusion, the servant came to earth as a baby. He grew up as a child. He died as a man. But right now he reigns at the right hand of the Father on high. And so what does that mean for us in Christ, brothers and sisters? Let us no longer live in shame and guilt because he will not be put to shame and we are in him. Let us quiet our rebellious hearts. Let us walk with him in obedience. Let us call out to a dying world to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we pray. We pray for us in the church that you would help us to remember the name above all names in those times that we feel shame and guilt. Help us to remember that you have already settled those things. And in you, there is no shame and no guilt. You have taken it upon yourself and you have nailed it to the cross. And so, Lord, help us to claim the victory that we have in you and in you alone. And not only that, Lord, help us to proclaim your name, the only name that can save. Help us to proclaim it in all the earth so that they will know that they might be saved, that they might be delivered, and that you might be glorified. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so at this time, please stand with me as we sing our response to God's word.